0: So glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up later, we're going to have Clark Stinks. So I want to tell you a story. We had a burglar alarm that was aging out, and the the equipment was too old for the modern era. And it wasn't really compatible with the new things I wanted to have, which was integration of cameras and uh, various things that will be able to be added modularly to new burglar alarms. So I got a quote on getting a modernized burglar alarm. And you know, I won't sign a contract. So the equipment quote comes in at $2,700. And then the monthly monitoring, because I wanted wireless and backup and all this stuff, was going to be $25 a month, 300 bucks a year. So that's 3000 just in the first year. And then 300 each year after that. And I was like, this is crazy. Here I am touting these self-install alarm systems. Yeah, I've been talking about them for years. I first saw one at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, years ago. And I've had producer Joel on the air talk about how he bought a self-install and has moved it twice over the years. Is, he and his wife have moved to other dwellings. And I was like, what? Why can't I do this? So I looked closely at three of the systems the Nest system, the Ring system, and Simply Safe. And I looked at what the cost of the hardware was, the various pieces of hardware that came with it, how adaptable it was to add optional features, and then what the monthly monitoring was. And I ended up choosing the Ring system Ring ended up at Costco costing me $179 when they had it on sale. And it came with a lot, enough door and window pieces and all that. Came with motion sensor, came with an alarm, you know, the, um, the noisemaker, and of course the keypad for 179 bucks. But that wasn't what sealed the deal for me. It was two other things. Supposedly, it was really easy to install. Second, we already had ring doorbells. We had two of them at the house. So we already were integrated with that and had a couple of ring cameras. And they would fully integrate with the alarm. And the third thing was the clencher. The monitoring, $100 a year for professional monitoring. $8.50. We had a false alarm just days ago, and it's so amazing. You can go on the app on your phone, you look, and you see nothing's going on, and reset the alarm remotely. And when the the police call, I mean, not the police, the monitoring station called, and my wife was able to say, false alarm, bad on us, don't send the police. Did everything it was supposed to do except i am incompetent my brother only is an observer who's really good at doing things around the house he's very handy filmed me doing this and just kept laughing but he was not allowed to help me so i'd been told it would take me 15 minutes to install because all the contacts are wireless and all that, it took me almost three hours. And I'd still do it again. Because of the amount of money I'm saving is so huge and the adaptability of the system is so great. But I also had a problem that was a quality control problem from the ring people. Three of the components in this giant warehouse club pack from Costco Three of the components were dead on arrival. I called tech support at Ring, got somebody who was fantastic. We were on the phone a long time, and he was able to get two of those three things working again. The third one, a one of the door contacts, you can use them door or window, in my case I was using a door, was dead on arrival, is still dead. So not good quality control. But... Once I got rolling, I got everything installed, it's been great. But then, you know, if you've listened to me a long time, you know I'm obsessive about smoke and fire and carbon monoxide. So they sell something that's really weird. It's a listener. So you install these listeners by your already installed smoke detectors and carbon monoxide detectors. So Costco doesn't sell those. I went to Best Buy and got them 35 bucks a piece. Installed two units of that in the house. And now if there's smoke, fire, or carbon monoxide, it actually hears that weird pitch, trips the alarm, and you know there's a problem when you're not home so your house doesn't burn down or whatever because you don't know that there's smoke and fire going on in the house. So you got to add in the 70 bucks I spent for those. So it cost me, including tax, about 275 to install the whole thing. And at least for now, I'm thrilled. And we'll see over time if it remains reliable, as new features become available if I buy those. But the integration is great. I also have five of the Wyze cams, the $20 cameras, So I've got like full coverage. So if that alarm trips and I want to see if there's any uh, bad people running around the house, I got it. I can see and I'm protected for a very low price. You can see I've got an article about my decision-making process and what I did at Clark.com, including video of the box when I started, then my conclusion And my confession of incompetence as well. Betsy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Betsy? Hello, Clark. How are you doing?
1: Good, good. Hey, I want to thank you so much for all your advice over the years and thanks to your team.
0: Absolutely, Betsy. So, how can I serve you today?
1: Well, I'm one of the fortunate ones. I have a pension through my work.
2: And I have a
1: question. I know. I'm very fortunate. And I'm, I'm just wondering about taking the single annuity versus the joint and providing some income for my husband if I pass first. Uh, the single annuity would provide us um, a $2,400 um, increase per year. So what's your advice on the single annuity versus the joint And is there anything I should do in
0: lieu if I do take the single annuity? Sure, that's a great question. So you said you'd get a $2,400 larger annual payment. What is the total amount you would get in a single, if you pay it just to yourself, per year?
1: I believe it's right around $40,000.
0: Okay, so you're talking about a very small haircut. To have is it life plus fifty if you include your husband? Right. He gets correct. half of what you would get. Right. So this is this is all a gamble and it's an educated guess kind of mixed in. And in my case, I also have the good fortune of having a pension, and that's a fantastic pension you've got. And in my in my circumstance, I had the choice of me only or my wife at 50 or my wife at 100. So I took a big haircut to have my wife at 100 so Mm -hmm. that I would know that she was well taken care of for years. Women in her family live forever. Men in my family don't live so long. So odds are she's going to have a long time getting that. So then we talk about your situation. Um, How would your husband pay for his life? if you did die before he did
1: well we do have a substantial 401k um put together so he would probably have that then he's got social security of course but the pension would be an addition it would probably be you know a nice on top of the 401k
0: sure it would be fantastic i mean he'd get he'd get 20 grand a year approximately After you were to pass away, that twenty grand could be extremely useful.
1: But should I take out a life insurance policy for myself in lieu of you know taking that single?
0: I can't believe you took the words right out of my mouth because many times that will be required by your employer. Oh, really? Or they'll require uh, your husband to sign a waiver saying I give up any rights. Yes. Usually, what people do. Is they do exactly that. If your health is really rock solid, you could buy a life insurance policy on yourself. You hope that you don't need to use it anytime right. soon, but that then it would be the equivalent of replacing the value potentially of the of the pension payout. So and that's usually
1: a universal life. You've no, heard, no, I've heard no, no, say, no universal
0: no. life. Universal life is dangerous stuff. Okay. So you could buy a whole life policy if you wanted it to be what's referred to as permanent. But in order to make the numbers work, you'd probably find that you wanted to buy a level term insurance policy where the premiums would stay the same, let's say, 20 years and only cover that period of time. And see what it would cost you for a 20-year level term insurance policy versus just the possibility of taking the haircut of twenty four hundred dollars a year.
1: Okay. Well thank you so much, Clark. I really appreciate it. Sure.
0: I should tell you the amount that you would need would be roughly a quarter million in face value insurance to equate to the value of him getting twenty grand a year from okay. the life from the pension. Very good. But there's no perfect answer here.
1: Right. Right. It's a hard one.
0: And his health matters too.
1: Well, we're pretty we're both in pretty good health, so it's a hard call.
0: Right. But either are good things to do because you're protecting himself and you're protecting yourself and you have peace of mind that you're protecting him as well. Right. So, life insurance or just keep it simple? take the reduction of 2400 a year and know that he has nice protection in the event that you do die first. Scott's with us on the Clark Howard show. Hello Scott, how you doing? I'm doing great. Good afternoon, Clark. So Scott, you want to take a wonderful trip in the summer.
3: Looking forward to it, finally getting over to Scotland.
0: And what month of the summer are you thinking of going?
3: We have an event that we need to be at uh, July 31st, August 1st, and August 2nd. So I can do go you have to the- go
0: to Europe during the most expensive few weeks of the year? <laughs> this time we do, yes. Oh, man. All right. So you're, you're making me work hard here because you know you're violating two Clark rules. You pick the destination and you pick the date instead of letting the deal drive your trip. So I got to come up with ways to save you money, don't I?
3: Well, yes, I have flexibility on the destination as far as I could possibly fly into London or anywhere and travel up. So I've got some flexibility on that and whether I go in before or after that weekend.
0: My oldest brother, who spent four years traveling the world with his wife, um, found that for them, when they were going to scotland going to ireland saved them a lot of money they flew to ireland and then paid like nothing like uh, 20 euro to go from dublin to glasgow
3: okay well we're open to that
0: so that's a possibility is to do that but the more important thing now for getting affordable travel to scotland is where you leave from in the United States, not necessarily where you end up landing. Because the, the fares to Europe generally, and this has been especially true for Edinburgh and Glasgow, is that the fares out of New York City have been so much cheaper than most anywhere else in the United States, and with how cheap domestic fares are in the U.S., that really look closely at fares out of The New York metro area airports
3: okay and do you know
0: how to do the fare alerts on Google flights Uh, yes so set up a fare alert from your hometown to your preferred airport in Scotland and then also to Dublin and even go as far as um, if you really want to do everything you can to get a good deal Check out of London, uh, maybe out of Birmingham, England, and or as they would say, Birmingham, Birmingham, however they say it, and Manchester. Okay. And then out of New York, do all New York area airports on your Google search at google.com slash flights. And maybe because you're already inconveniencing yourself going from home to New York, maybe only check glasgow and edinburgh and google flights will also give you predictive analysis of historical average fares and be able to let you know on a pricing chart if the fare is good or not right now
3: okay that's great so google flights would be a good tool to use is it typically better to buy how far ahead of the trip is your experience there's so much
0: disagreement about that But I like buying European tickets about a month and a half out, which just upsets so many people. They can't imagine waiting that long. But really, if you let the historical markers on Google guide you, you'll know when it's cheap enough that you're not going to freak out if it gets cheaper later. So I think you should be just fine and have a great time. The marker fair you want to look for out of the Northeast For summertime is something in the fives round trip under six hundred. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge, so you can keep more of what you make. That's what we're about. That's what we do here on the Clark Howard Show. But you know, there are times that you're listening, you go, "Huh? Did he really just say that, referring to me? What was he thinking, referring to me, or?" He's just really stupid, also referring to me. So that's why we have Clark.com slash Clark Stinks. It's where you can go post where you feel that I blew it, that I gave bad advice, bad guidance, missed the mark. And then once a week, producer Krista goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares her favorites with you right here on the show.
2: I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You
4: should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong.
2: Maybe you're right, pal.
4: Clark, you actually, I'm just going to say really quick, there's a few, there are a few themes throughout this Clark Stinks. So I'm going to read... Two posts about electric cars to start. Clark, you continuously promote electric cars as the best thing since sliced bread. What you fail to address- No, individually
0: wrapped cheese slices.
4: (laughs) uh, (laughs) What you fail to address is that gasoline-driven vehicles pay a tax on every gallon that's pumped to pay for the upkeep of the highways and bridges they travel on. Do the electric cars you hawk, such as those you own, drive on a cushion of air and cause no wear and tear? John.
0: John, what a wonderful question- And in my state, I pay a punitive tax for driving an electric vehicle, which is set each year at three times what the tax is that a typical gasoline vehicle would pay for the miles driven and the state gas tax that would be collected. So uh, I live in a state that the legislature is extremely hostile to electric vehicles, and that's why... Not only am I paying for the roads, I'm paying three times my share. So there are other states that are giving a free ride to electric vehicles, and that's not right. There should be not a three times charge, but there should be a fee charged each year to make up for the lack of gas taxes that someone driving an electric vehicle is paying because we all have a responsibility to fix, maintain, and improve our road system.
4: Dear Clark, I was shocked at the accolades you heaped upon the upcoming electric cars. You never mentioned the elephant in the room. Of all the types of batteries made, none of them last forever. All too soon, every single one will fail. How long will these car batteries last? What's the cost of replacing them? Get ready for the jolt of your life. Roger.
0: Roger, thank you. Lots of volts causing jolts. So um, battery technology continues to improve. I was talking with someone who's had an electric car for six years, and he's had a 2% degradation in his battery capacity over those six years and 70,000 miles on his. The early electric vehicles, particularly the Nissan Leafs, had a massive fail on their battery systems and created an enormous problem with what do you do with all these batteries and then the cost of replacing was cost prohibitive. But the technology is moving pretty quickly and we're getting to a point where the battery life will probably be measured in decades and that's going to be quite a breakthrough. In addition, the range of electric vehicles is getting higher and higher every year. And my vehicle goes 373 miles on a charge.
4: I just love Clark so much that it's really hard for me to say the words Clark stinks. I often hear him tell listeners that want to build credit for their children. Instead of getting a card in their own name, they should add them as an authorized user. I did this myself and it has been working out very well for my college age son. And I also did not give him the card. Here's the Clark Stinks part. I think he needs to include the caveat that they should only do this if they themselves have good credit. I never really hear him mention that part, and I think it needs to be said. Jennifer.
0: Jennifer. I've got another one on this topic. Yeah, but I do stink if I don't emphasize that. Because lending your credit to someone else is only good if you have good credit. If you have bad credit, you instantly give the person you make an authorized user a direct mirror image reflection of your bad credit. So only if your credit score is above 720 should you add somebody as an authorized user, add one of your kids as an authorized user to one of your cards to help them build a credit identity and a credit score.
4: And Tom says, I've always appreciated your honesty and integrity, which is why I'm surprised I'm writing you about this. I've heard you advise parents to add their child to their credit card as an unauthorized user but not let them use the card for the purpose of helping establish credit. This is wrong at many levels. The child is presenting themselves to the potential lenders as something they are not. Their credit is not theirs. They are deceiving lenders and thinking they're able to effectively manage credit when they may not be able to. Secondly, this advice does not help the child actually learn to use credit. If a parent wants to help their child, they should add them as an authorized user and let them use the card and make payments accordingly. Or they can apply with the child as a co-signer. Either way, the child's learning to use credit responsibly and is able to present their own credit history to lenders, not someone else's. Let's encourage honesty and integrity, not deceit.
0: That is a very well thought out post and you make very good points. And one of the things that is absolutely true is that teenagers typically with their first credit card blow it. They tend to charge what they can't afford. They tend to have very high interest. They tend to neglect to make payments and can really foul things up for themselves. I think how many times I'll hear from someone who is mid to late 20s and they'll relate how they've had to rebuild their credit after really messing up with their first credit they got as a teenager so your points are exactly on point and i'd say this is a point for parents how many times am i going to say the word point for parents to know this can be an issue and take the time to really educate your son or daughter about responsible handling of credit now let me go back to the authorized user thing this is one of those things where life isn't fair so there's a correlation, apparently, between a parent with a good credit score and the likely credit score that a kid will typically maintain in adulthood. So a parent with a good credit score will tend, and it'll, it's a trend not in always will tend to have a kid who will grow up to have good credit scores as well. And we tend to pick up, by osmosis or whatever, the spending and credit habits of our parents.
4: When you speak about numbers, usually income, you make reference to moderate, stratosphere, high or low. You must realize this is subjective. Everyone's view is different. $50,000 in income may seem like low income to some and high to others. Be specific so we can retain and apply your knowledge to our situation more effectively. Patrick.
0: Patrick, thank you. This is You're pointing out one of the most difficult conundrums that I face on the air is that when you look at the variation in cost of living from one part of the country to the other, especially you look at both coasts and the 10 largest metro areas in the country, the cost of living is much, much higher than virtually anywhere else in the country. So where an income may support a comfortable middle-class life In a lot of zip codes, in others, you you can't even get by on that. So that one's a hard one, and I'll think through a way to communicate that more effectively when I do talk about ranges of incomes.
4: Clark, I know you like technology, but while you recommend a 55 inch television, please advise listeners about the increase in distance from the screen as well. There's little or no attention paid to radiation coming from electronics. Between cell phones, iPads, TV, Alexa, solar panels, electric cars, our bodies are not equipped to process the buildup of EMFs, and this is why babies should not be next to a baby monitor, but across the room. It's a tough subject, but necessary, giving the intro of 5G soon. Respectfully, Deborah.
0: Deborah, thank you for your post. You're talking about an area that I have no knowledge about at all or understanding, so I appreciate you giving that perspective and... I read everything. I'll see if I learn more about what you're referring to.
4: Clark, your advice backfired on me. I ordered an item from Amazon and left it in my cart to see if they would offer me a better deal. Free shipping, maybe? I went back the next day to check my cart, and there was a note. The price had increased to twenty had increased twenty-five percent. I emptied my cart and went back to reorder and the price was nearly fifty percent more. I ended up ordering the item from a different website at the original price. So actually, in the end, I guess I still won. Steve.
0: (laughs) Steve, you are in postgraduate school for how to handle your money because I love it that you experimented with abandoning your cart. More often than not, that will generate a lower price, not a higher price. But when Amazon ran that price up on you, that you didn't just say, oh, well, I have to pay the Amazon price. You went and shopped the market and got the original price. So that actually says you're doing things just right. Sometimes it'll work out exactly as I said, abandoning the cart, and you gave an example where it did not. But you didn't give up and take the hit to your wallet. You still found out how to meet your price.
4: Clark, I'm a builder, and I just listened to you tell a caller to stay away from new construction. I build good quality homes in good areas at a reasonable price. New developments are good for the economy of the specific town. Not every development goes belly up. Try to stay away from this topic. You're off track. David.
0: David, thank you, and I'm not trying to hurt your uh, living or income or anything like that. Statistically, people get more value per square foot they pay a lower price per square foot buying a used home rather than a new home. So I say that to people, but overwhelmingly people buy, uh, especially first-time home buyers, want to buy new homes. So I'm just trying to get people to think, I'm not trying to hurt your ability to earn a living.
4: Clark, you're doing a disservice to your listeners by advising them that 529 plans should only be used for children who are likely to attend college. Many people think college means a community college or traditional four-year university. However, the definition of eligible institutions is broad and includes trade schools or vocational training. that's from Jenny.
0: Jenny, you're right. The reason that I emphasize college is that the cost of college versus a state-supported technical college or vocational college, I mean, it's a completely different scale in tuition cost. And generally... State technical colleges are so inexpensive that putting money aside is not that high a priority. It's more important that you put money in your own Roth IRA. So when I talk about 529s, I really am emphasizing and thinking about traditional four-year college or grad school.
4: Not sure if this is the right category, but I love Clark's stories of random acts of goodness. Just heard his story about Tanya and her inability to pay her tuition and a stranger paid it for her. I wanted to share my experience while at the post office. A woman was there sending off about 10 large boxes of toys from her organization for foster children in St. Thomas. When another customer heard what she was doing, he offered to pay the cost of mailing these packages. The cost was somewhere between $800 and $1,000. Amazing. Thanks, Shirley. I thought we'd end on that.
0: That is really, really kind. And I think it's important at a time that we as a country have so many things we get angry at each other about unnecessarily. The reality is every day you see the basic goodness in our fellow Americans, and we have so much good to share with each other, and I'm grateful to you for that.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
5: Hi, Clark. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you. I've listened to you for so long, and it's just an honor to get on here to talk to you. So thank you very much for taking my call. Well,
0: it's great to have you here, but I hate the circumstances you're calling me about.
5: It's a conundrum here. I recently um, have a long-term care policy that I've been paying into for about 14 years, so I have about $45,000, and I've never tapped it at all. And about... uh, Two years ago, they increased it about 30 to 35%, and now this year, they just contacted me to let me know it's going to go up almost 80%. So, um, I'm, they gave me some options, and I guess my question to you is, well, let me also say that I can pay this right now. I, you know, I don't have any, health, any really specific health issues that are costing me a lot of money, thank God. So I can pay the extra money, but they do give you some options. I could keep the current coverage and pay the premium increase. Or I could, how much
0: is the premium with the massive increase per year?
5: $6,678.
0: And how much benefit does the current option offer you?
5: The current option offers me the daily maximum benefit of $297 a day, three years benefit period i have an inflation compound five percent inflation protection and then an elimination period of 90 days
0: okay i don't is even need to hear the other options if you can afford the sixty six hundred dollar premium mm-hmm. do it because the benefit for you is so gigantic i mean think about three years of payment, not even counting the inflation adjustment, if you needed long-term care, I mean, we're talking huge money here that they would be paying you. The benefit they would pay you would be approximately $325,000 against a premium of $6,678. And the reason that the premiums are going up so much is when they sold you this policy forever ago... Mm -hmm. they messed up they calculated the use of these policies wrong and the usage is so much higher and people are living longer and not as healthy as the actuaries at the insurance companies calculated so that's what happened and so your premium uh, two years ago was I'm gathering based on what you told me it was like $2,500, 2500 and now it'll be $6,600. Mm-hmm. Is that about right?
5: It, I think I paid 1800 every six months.
0: Oh, okay. So, All right. it's, so it, it's not quite overall doubled, but it's a lot. Mm-hmm. So if you can handle paying what's essentially 500 and something every month towards the long-term care policy, hold on as long as you can.
5: Thank you so much, uh, Clark. I just appreciate so much what you do. I really trust your advice, and it's a commodity that seems to be in short supply these days. So uh, thank you very much. God bless you.
0: Well, thank you, and you were so kind to say that. We are in a time that people don't know who to trust and don't trust institutions. I believe that there's a lot more trustworthy organizations and people out there than we really give uh, society credit for,